Dear patriarchy, please sashay away. Please don't come back another day. You've affected all of us, straight, non-binary, and queer. So how about you do us a favor and get out of here? On today's episode of the Patriarchy Podcast, we're talking about inclusivity within the feminist movement. As with every episode, there are cards in the digital box to drive the conversation. What's in the box, no one knows. here feminism is a social is a social okay it's so zoomed in okay feminism is a socialist anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands kill their children practice witchcraft destroy capitalism and become lesbians i can say that all of that yes yes (laughs) work work patty i love love witchcraft (laughs) knows what they're talking about yeah so great i love it um all right so how do i slide on back okay here we go i'm back with y'all what are your thoughts so jokes aside um i think it's just it's ridiculous that that kind of like propaganda still exists i mean a deluded perception of like that's what feminism entails because it like it it means that a woman will either have an opinion or she won't be your gender norm or she won't ascribe to what your like cultural norms are specifically and like yeah. it being so threatening that you can literally label it as witchcraft like witchcraft because it threatens your your existence or your idea so much I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, of course. I think also like just regarding patriarchy and all of that, the notion of like something as, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it's that outlandish, but like witchcraft (laughs) is like, I think such a wild stretch (laughs) that like it sort of invalidates the entire statement in and of itself. I think the statement itself doesn't lend itself to being well received. It just, you know, it's so a good think, like, Sorry, Adam. Um, what I think is like it's a, it's a strategy that a lot of people in politics use to discredit arguments that minorities or movements opposed to like dominant structures make. So we've seen it a lot yeah. with Trump, for example, where people like non-binary people or people who exist outside of the binary are referred to as snowflakes. Because the more absurd you make their argument, the easier it is to discredit it. So by saying that yeah. feminism is a lead to like witchcraft and people killing their children, it gives you like a stronger basis to discredit the notion of feminism, which is obviously not about killing your children or getting into witchcraft. Yeah. I think it's yeah. just a fear <laughs> of female power. Mm. Yeah, um, if, I, if I can say <clears throat> something on that. Um, my smoker's lungs are going to interrupt occasionally. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> hi, everyone. To anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Giuseppe. Um, they, them pronouns. Um, and with that statement, um, 
So I've been watching this new show, following it, um, called Mrs. America. And if you guys have, aren't watching mm. it, you should. It's really mm. good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of statement is very much in the vein of what um, 60s and 70s um, anti-feminist politicians like Phyllis Schlafly used to um, use, those kind of arguments that the feminist movement is against the homemaking woman and against women choosing home life. Because I think that's the kind of credibility that some more apologetic people towards people like Pat Robinson. That's the kind of um, strong, quote unquote, strong arguments they try to get out of that statement is that feminism is inherently anti-choice because it's invalidating the choice of women who choose to be homemakers um, and choose to settle down and have families and so on and not exist outside of the um, very strict binary gender norm. Um, And I think that when it comes to arguments like that and the reason it's been around literally since the 60s, um, it, it's, it's the easiest way out to discrediting feminism, I think, because early sort of iterations of feminism had to be so hardcore in dismantling the um, strictness of the gender norm at that time. So like writers like Betty Friedan and like the feminine mystique and so on, obviously very aggressively attacked notions of being a housewife and being a, a family woman and homemaker because that was the only framework a woman could exist in at the time so i think what's been around for literally over 50 years now um is this idea and it's the easy way out of feminism is the idea that feminism inherently invalidates choice on that front and while that might be true for some very radical um very fringe factions of of feminism um i really don't think that that's at all at the heart of what feminism is because part of feminism is maximization of choice so it's, it's never been about invalidating choosing family and choosing to be a homemaker and so on or choosing yeah. to be a witch i guess um it's it's always just been about um freedom within those choices so yeah that's that statement is just it's been around for so long and i like it's really <laughs> tiring at this point um because yeah. people like phyllis schlafly are are dead and gone and have been invalidated countless times um it, it's such an easy way out of engaging with feminism i think but if you want to call us witches like we're not going to fight it so yeah <laughs> I mean, season three covered really like opened the doors for us. Of oh, 100%. Story, so I'll claim. 100%. We'll claim. Coven is only about feminism. Period. Yeah. <laughs> could I ask, could we maybe, could I maybe see the quote again? Could I like see that again? I just want to, I want to talk about some stuff. Um, I, I also wanted to say something about it um, because. I really, I really think that when we, when we look at that quote and uh, we look at how, how fragile the patriarchy is in that it's, it's not just trying to discredit feminism on one ground in which it could yeah. possibly be discredited on. I mean, we can obviously say that there would be some elemental problems with feminism and then pinpoint that and say that that's a point that we can sort of discuss and we can attack it on. But here it's yeah. almost like he's using every single form of what white monopoly capital and Western media and cis hetero capital are trying to like discredit it. So what do, what do white monopoly capital hate the most? They hate socialists. So let's label feminist socialists because it means yeah. that everyone that hates socialists mm. will join the yeah. movement of yeah. hating feminism. Let's talk about them um, like practicing witchcraft. How many religious people hate those that like practice witchcraft? It means that mm. they'll jump on to this bandwagon as well, killing their children. Let's talk about pro-choice and let's talk about the pro-lifers. It means we'll get the pro-lifers on the anti-feminist yeah, movement. Yeah, it's very, it's very... 
Mm. It's, it's, it's so weak and fragile that they have to try and pinpoint so many, leaving your husband, killing your children, destroying capitalism, becoming lesbians, they hate the LGBTQI community, practicing which they have to find so many different avenues to try and discredit feminism instead of just finding one because they have to get so many lobby groups of like anti like Western white monopoly capital cis heteromedia and individuals to try and join this discussion to give them any grounding. Yeah, I think the wording is so important as well. And it's also something that people need to be, especially now that the news is sort of our main source of like staying within, you know, reality in a weird way. People need to be so observant of the, the tactics that people like that choose in the way that they word things. You know, you can like, for example, pro-life, pro-choice, you can say like killing your children, you know, um, practicing witchcraft, i.e. just like, you know, not being or not conforming to whatever the contextual religion he is a part of, the, the man that said that quote or something like that. I think the wording and the way that these things are portrayed is also so important because in a weird way, it almost, it's almost propaganda, if not exactly is propaganda. So No, it, it, it literally is full-blown because there's not a single thing here which talks about like actual feminism and what it stands for. It's saying that feminism is socialist and it's saying feminine is, um, and I think that let's women choose to maybe get out of abusive relationships or let's women choose to abort or let's women choose to not to be Christian or let women like actualize on their identity of necessarily being lesbian or transgender or anything else in the queer community. Um, it yeah. just means that they don't, they don't attack it at its core. They're just trying to say that we all have problems with all these other like facets and ideologies. Let's all say that that's feminism as a way to discredit it. Mm. Yeah. And on, on the front of the, the specific wording of the statement um, and its implications, I think what's so interesting about it is it, it like you, you alluded to earlier, it, it very directly identifies every way in which the patriarchy is fragile mm. um, and men are fragile, cis het men are fragile, because it points out everything that men and cis het men fear most about um, women, which is they fear the kind of woman who doesn't want to settle down with them or bear their children. They fear women who might not be sexually attracted to them and, you know, emasculate them on that front. They fear women who exist outside of their religious foundations, in fact, with the witchcraft um, sentiment, um, and they fear women who don't want to conform to the kind of um, capital-based system that they themselves establish. Um, I think what's been so, thrive on. Yeah, and I think what's so kind of um, neat about this statement, um, for lack of a better word, is it perfectly encapsulates um, patriarchal fragility and everything men fear about women most. And it, it derives, if we look at media, it derives so heavily from ideas of the femme fatale woman or the um, even the crazy woman that we see in some of in some of media now, um, or the the psycho ex girlfriend, it's it's all iterations of women taken to their most extreme to identify mm -hmm. the fears of cis het men in women who don't actually care much for them, you know. And men actively fear women who like don't want to have their children and and pose some kind of physical and intangible threat towards them on the front of their social lives, the ideas of family that they want, and the ideas of how they best thrive in the system they propped up. Um, I, I actually kind of love the statement. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's I think it's also dangerous in the sense that like the caricature of what it is, like the caricatured stereotypes of women that are represented often become like what is expected in reality in a sense. I think also 
people tend to underestimate the power that media has over just general, like the general public. You know, so few people are willing to like think deeper or explore into what they see. They just sort of take it as fact. I mean, all of y'all have definitely gotten like random coronavirus cure messages on WhatsApp and shit like that. That's just so like, you know, easily bought by the people that send it through. And it, it, make, it concerns me because I don't mind, obvious, okay, I don't know if I'm going to word this correctly, but I am far more afraid of a person with a bad opinion and a platform than a person with a bad opinion. Agreed. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of the concerning thing about that because, like, these people get platforms to say things like that such that we can even, we can have this kind of discussion about it. Um, but people that completely invalidate everything that all of the people here on this esteemed panel um, <laughs> feel, you know what I'm saying? It's, it, it's dangerous. Mm. Scary. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for the second card? Let's go. All right. So I just, in terms of just thought process, really just thinking about um, allies in the community and, whether they're genuine towards feminism or not. So I don't know who wants to read this specific tweet. Um, any volunteers? Yeah. I think, I think maybe like oh, okay. Aksha or Fabi because, I don't know, I think I just haven't heard Aksha's yeah, thoughts Aksha, at the moment. So I'm thinking maybe. Yeah, I think Aksha. Uh, yes. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, cool. All right. Here is your card. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to the LGBT. Okay, this is a tweet by Donald Trump. Uh, thank you to the LGBT community. I will fight for you while Hillary brings in more people that will threaten your freedoms and beliefs. Child. <laughs> okay. Isn't, uh, isn't he the one pulling back policies in America for transgender rights now because he's like saying, yeah, this is so ironic. I love it. Oh, this man, like. He is so in his hopes at the moment, and I just I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with him. Like speaking of like powerful people with a platform, what Adam was saying. Yeah, like, this is what the fuck I'm saying. So scary. Like we've already seen. Like Twitter's a great source of news. Don't know if I should say that, <laughs> but like <laughs> doctors, doctors in America are tweeting about the coronavirus, for example, and are saying like they've already had people coming in because they've been ingesting bleach, like diluting. Yeah, bleach. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Trump said. Like, and that applies to basically his whole presidency. Like the minute he says something, something bad happens. Um, and I think that this tweet is like so inflammatory. And even without him saying who the people he's bringing, uh, Hillary's bringing in, your brain already because of you like you know what the conservatives say and you know who trump is immediately you know that he's inciting things like islamophobia he's not wanting yes. people of color he's talking about building the wall he's like inciting all of the subtext just by saying something like that meanwhile all that his presidency has done has highlighted that all of the people that hate lgbt people that hate women that hate black people people of color 
trans people, etc., are within the US already, and they've been there the whole time. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about like the conversation of allyship, um, what what Trump does, and he does it all the time, is when when anybody from a minority like grouping, so even if we just look at like some of your, your black demographics in America who start to just resonate with his kinds of views and opinions, he believes that that person is the black community. That's everyone in the black community. Probably him thanking someone from the LGBT community was some problematic white gay man who probably also hates lesbians and also hates transgender people and believes that there's a binary, but simply just wants to go to gay clubs every weekend and kiki with his boys. Um, That person would probably have said, we love you, Trump. And then he would be like, yes, the whole LGBTQI community loves me. But he just doesn't actually understand yeah. like the full extent that the LGBTQ community probably hates those like problematic gays themselves and what they do yeah. for the movement. Yeah. But let me tell think... you the one. Oh no no no! Someone else talk because I've been blabbing. Go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I so what I mean, this this tweet kind of reminds me of. I mean, Donald Trump himself is a capitalist. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this really does remind me of, of like Pride season when brands just jump on like rainbows mm. and pretend to care about the community. But then, you know, once Pride is over, it's just like, okay, bye. <laughs> like, yeah, that was fun. Um, and I think, you know, similar to to that, what this tweet, you know, in 2016 did was try to attract to buy more votes, basically. Yeah. Um, and it just like sort of highlights what, how the community is seen as sort of an accessory um, to for personal or capital gain. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sort of fake allyship is, yeah, it's just yeah. Trash. It's yeah. this tweet's basically him saying, I've got a gay friend, I can't be like homophobic. It's like I've got a black friend, I yeah, can't be racist. My redneck in Kansas who's gay as well, but like now I've got a gay yeah. friend, I can't do anything bad. Yeah, I gave this guy meth once and now he's gay. So and he said it's fine. <laughs> and the but thing is Trumple uses Trump will use it in his arsenal. He will then pull out he'll then pull back on a transgender policy or he'll pull back on queer rights and then he'll say yeah. listen i i love gay people mm. i you you know i love gay people gay people are wonderful but we have to like prioritize this or this or this against like transgender rights or against queer rights and he'll yeah. use it and he's awesome to be like i've supported the lgbtqi community before i therefore can't be like homophobic in this instance yeah but then yeah. i want to pose the question two things Firstly, what is support of the LGBTQIA plus community? What constitutes that? Because here's the thing, an ally isn't someone that says that they love gay men. So obviously, y'all know I work at Babylon, right? And a lot of the times I deal with (laughs) bachelorettes, but I also deal with icons like women who so there's a distinct difference between a girl that will come through i'm using girls specifically just as this example because they're both you know female identifying but like um 
bachelorettes will come in and be like, I love gay guys. You guys are so fun. She wants to be like my gay best friend. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. I'm so glad that I can be another clutch purse for you. Or it'll be someone coming in being like, for, uh, I use people a lot as an example, but that's not going to make any sense. But like an ally is someone that like is there not just for the novelty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think the mm. tweet itself yeah. is shallow enough such that it doesn't come across as like something genuine. Again, it's about mm -hmm. people just reading and thinking about the context of things that are happening. Mm -hmm. So, so like there. if I can say something, um, I was watching the pit stop about yesterday's episode of Drag Race, obviously, you know, <laughs> white gay checking in. Um, and <laughs> Detox said something that was very surprising to me, which is that Drag Race has a lot of conservative fans and that a lot of conservatives watch Drag Race because it's entertaining. Yeah. And in yeah. the context of this discussion, I thought about this night at Babylon where an Adam will know because I am a drag queen, like, part-time when we were allowed to go out of the house <laughs> and there was this night that a guy in a make america great again hat showed up to babs right oh um and it was like this terrifying moment for everyone that was there with like like yeah. 30 people left or something crazy and me being the crackhead that i am i decided to confront this man full you know six foot tall geesh um, but the first thing he said to me was, why you have the right to have a good time? And I was like, excuse me? Like, oh, people, who hate, people who hate us are like fine to use us to have a good time and are fine to enjoy the content we put out, like Drag Race, the content we do when we perform on stage or like the good vibe that we create at a place like Babylon, although I wouldn't arguably call Babylon the safest space for a large number of people. But period. That they're night, able that to like yeah. Yes. They're that's, able to like enjoy like proximity to us. But that's not yeah. allyship. Like I think like gay people and like just speaking from the perspective of doing drag, we're so appealing because it's like I say gay people are to straight people what toys are to toddlers. Yes. Like very shiny. We're very exciting. It's all the, it's like all of this excitement, this brightness. But at the end of the day, like you outgrow a toy, you throw away a toy, you get rid of it once you're done with it. And I think that that's the difference between allyship and someone who's like tokenizing you, like what Adam was speaking about. And I think that when people start looking at it like that, you'll realize that there are not that many allies, actually. People just enjoy you because you're yeah. fun or and whatever, you know? I think, I think, and I think G can resonate on this as well because I think they went to an all-boys school too. Giuseppe, you went to an yeah. all-boys school, didn't you? So I, I know I went to, I went to an all-boys high school in Pretoria. And... The one thing that I also realized is it's not necessarily like we're, we're just the gay best friend, especially amongst straight men. And it's not always just the all boys high schools. It's like 
the, the general consensus of straight men who are somewhat questioning their own sexualities or just wondering how men operate in different facets to what they do. We become this info deck. So we become mm. like, how, how do you bottom? Like, I'm going to keep you around so I can know <laughs> how bottoming works. So I can Bitch, keep you around yes. to know how you have sex with men. So I can, I can keep you around to know what will a blowjob feel like from another man. And what will sex feel like from another man, but then just like toss you aside at the end of the day, because then like, Ooh, I now actually have that experience. You just become this info. You just be like, how, how do you like talk to your boyfriend? Who's the girl in the relationship? Who cooks, who cleans, who's like the soft one, who cries the most. And it's all yeah. of them just like trying to discover their own way of them interacting with their girlfriends. And it's just, it's, it's just a very weird like info session that I just hate being a part of. And it's and just, women, just, yeah. just get used as an encyclopedia. I find that straight women do that the most, if I'm completely honest. Like, I remember being in high school and straight women being like, oh, Fabi, here's... Because I was out from when I was like 15 or 16. So I had straight women in like grade 10 or 11 being like, oh, here's a banana. You know, <laughs> how do I suck a dick? And I'd be like, girl, I don't <laughs> With know. A banana. Like, oh my hard, God. Hard first, bitch. Like, the point I don't know. And like straight women being like, oh, how do you do anal? Like, I don't know, follow God is at the bottom on Twitter or whatever his name is now <laughs> and follow his thread like the rest of us. Like, I learned the same way everyone else does, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Some of us still haven't so learned. <laughs> yeah, and I don't come to you and be like, oh, so how does vaginal sex work? It ain't my business and my business yeah. is not your business. So stay out of it, you know. Yeah. Just uh, when very harshly scratched open. Um, <laughs> um, with being at an all boys school, especially, um, I was at Bishop's, and it was really interesting to me. Also, out since I was fifteen, um, and I think what I've realized more and more in retrospect, I'm twenty now, and I've realized in retrospect, like everything you guys have mentioned so far, just how um, deeply entrenched my life was in those different social spheres in that way and in that nature. Um, cause, cause yeah, I was ready to explore my sexuality completely when I came out in grade 10. Um, mm-hmm. and I was more than willing to, you know, sexually engage and romantically engage with people who were questioning and even toxic, um, closeted men and toxic straight slash questioning men. I was more than willing to engage for my own sort of, um, gratification because quite honestly, I just did not really care about their feelings. I knew they were toxic, but I kind of was able to compartmentalize that and make sure it was self-serving um but <laughs> yeah. now that now that we're in university and all the guys who you know i sexually engage with and stuff um have like boyfriends for instance i'm like that's interesting that's really fucking convenient because um after you know we had our moments and whatnot in high school you were very um you were ready to toss me to the wayside type of thing. And it's what Dwayne was alluding to earlier is when it comes to straight um, or closeted or slightly questioning men, especially in an all male and all um, man identifying environment, um, queer people especially become these sources, like you say, of knowledge on queerness and especially the sexual uh, manifestations of your queerness. Um, And especially for their own learning purposes, they're more than willing to use you on that front. Um, and I mean, that alludes to a lot of things, firstly, like the education system and its lack of allyship on that front. You know, I'd, I'd rather these people were taught out of bottom than by the education system <laughs> than by me. <laughs> Bottoming in um, LO. Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, I could have taught the cause. 
I would have gladly taught the class. Um, but then on the first <laughs> like, of the funniest <laughs> demonstrations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then with women especially and, and females and stuff, because we had a lot of, you know, quote unquote sister schools um, like Herschel and Springfield and all of those. Um, I was also, and this is the real sort of nefarious, um, evil thing about false allyship, is when you're that confused and fresh out of the closet or trying to become comfortable enough to come out of the closet and discover yourself, especially the allyship from straight women who front as allies is evil because of the tokenization aspect of it. And when you are trying to come out or fresh out of the closet or whatever, you are so ready to make friends and form connections that are connections in, um, in spite of and despite of your queerness um, in a way that you haven't had before. And what false allies especially, and I, I think it's worth pointing out that women do this a lot um, and girls and stuff, um, they front to value you on that front, you know, and will use you for, like you say, sexual tips, sure, um, and tips about their boyfriends and so on. And just generally for having a good time because, and, and the, why I say it's evil is because when you're 15 and fresh out of the closet, like I was, I was ready to jump into that mold that they had shaped for me. I was ready yeah. to form connections yeah. on that front because that's because all you want. Like yeah, because that's, yeah, no. that's the yeah, avenue yeah. for acceptance. So just um, after high school. that was truly evil. I think just after high school, like one of the stories like I will always tell is just that like, I was friends with like a straight couple and it was, it became competition. So the, the boyfriend at sometimes would be like, Oh no, I want to know who sucks my dick the best. Is it my girlfriend or do boys really know how to do the job? Like in a better way. So then I'm busy sitting there being like, is this so weird threesome that I'm about to be roped into? And then the girl would always be like, my boyfriend doesn't know how to give me fashion advice. Or my boyfriend doesn't know how to give me advice on this, this, or this. Or he's acting a certain way. So I'm just going to... I would basically be brought into their fights as a mediator to be like, what does he mean by this? And then he'd be like, what does she mean by this? And I'm sitting there in the middle just being like, I don't know what either of you mean because both of you are crackheads in my opinion and you shouldn't be together. But it's true. It's just like Giuseppe says, it's, I felt like I was now welcome. I was like, I, I was, I was like this token sure back in like 2015. No, there wasn't really like a gay culture in Pretoria at all. And it was almost just like, oh, finally, like no one has a problem with me being gay. I'm just going to ride this boat because it means that I get invited yeah. to parties. I get invited to gatherings. No one's busy fighting with me for being gay. They all just sort of just be like, here's our Gucci handbag um, and just see what he can do. Yeah. But I think mm -hmm. how, as minorities, I think we accept a lot of, like obviously within the gay community, I'm not a minority because I'm cis and I'm white. So and within the gay community, I have a lot of privilege. So obviously, you know, I'm speaking on this from that position. But I think as minorities, we accept a lot of, um, like, aggression and, like, a lot of violence from people when we're fresh into a community because we mistake it for acceptance. And now I've viewed, like, what those girls were saying to me and, like, even how my own family maybe tokenized me for a long time as a form of violence. It's actually very violent and it's very damaging. And being a gay man in my 20s now, like I've had to unlearn a lot of that stuff as being okay. Um, and it, it like also reminds me, for example, of like a lot of my uh, friends of color who went to my school here in Santon in Morningside and them saying we had to assimilate to a standard of whiteness to fit into the school. 
and we dealt with yeah. so much racism and we dealt with like our teachers telling us that our hair wasn't acceptable or stuff like that. And then we got into varsity, we went to VITS and we learned like actually it's so aggressive. And I think yeah. that maybe that's yeah. what we're talking about now. Yeah, mm. I have two things to add. <coughs> well, I have a question firstly, but like for example, Oh, despite this very fair-ass skin, I benefit greatly from white privilege, despite the fact that I am Cape Malay. And in high school, for example, I used to have a very thick-colored accent. And while it still comes out in certain words and stuff like that, like, I used to get, like, physically bullied because of the fact that I was light-skinned with that accent. And I like had to go for like elocution lessons and stuff like that to change that about myself it's literally to assimilate and like fit in and even then obviously i sound like i'm you know not from anywhere and that sucks and then number two because that, that fully valid i'm fully validating what you're saying like it's tough but number two i actually have a question giuseppe do you feel that you assimilate well into the lgbt community or is being like is identifying as non-binary something that's sort of been an issue? Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a sort of loaded question to unpack, obviously, um, because yeah. the community itself, especially in South Africa, and I study at Stellenbosch, so it's a very different type of queer community there compared to when yeah. I'm in Cape Town where I live and stuff um, mm. versus when I travel and so on. And it's a, it's a varied response with my, with my gender identity which I've only yeah. really come into, I only really came into late last year. So it's fairly new still. Um, and still I'm yeah. getting used to the ways in which I live that truth and based on the responses that I get to that truth. And when it comes yeah. to the responses from the queer community, um, obviously my close circle of friends who are pretty much all queer, except for like one or two people, have been very deeply accepting um, and have tried and beat themselves over, you know, misgendering me, for instance. And, yeah. and they take it, they take it very, very seriously. So the effort that I get from the people who really matter to me is um, really great and okay. very fantastic. Um, but then when we talk about sort of existing outside of my immediate circle of queer friends, um, then it yeah. gets a bit more, a bit more sticky um, and tricky. Um, yeah. So it's, I have very much experienced a lot of um, aggression on the front of my gender from particularly, you know, masculine gay men um, and so on. Yeah. And I, I kind of expected it, um, but I, I didn't realize it would be so um, similar to the kind of um, intolerance I would receive from straight men when I first yes. came out at the that's, age of 15. And it exists. Yeah. And it exists so much in the same vein of that kind of intolerance and they don't even realize how damaging it is and how much they are part of the problem because i think where queer activism and just queer consciousness now is at is in the vein of gender especially now more than ever and it's not just about sexuality anymore and yeah. that's a that's a frontier that the queer community is has a lot to learn about so from my experience and internal intolerance within the community we have so much to learn on the front of gender still because we've always conflated our sexuality with the entire spectrum of queerness to begin yeah. with. Um, and that's so damaging because at the end of the day, I feel like the community I've always been able to fall back on is the very same uh, type of community as the one 
that oppressed me when I first came out as, as gay. Yep. Um, and yep. there's so many feelings and, and that come with that. You, you feel alone all over again and you feel misunderstood um, fundamentally all over again. And that's been particularly damaging, but I've, I've got the correct support structure and I've got the correct um, like personal facilities to be able to deal with that. And I'm very outspoken about it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's been, and especially in the context of Stellenbosch where I study and, and live, um, it's interesting when I very outwardly and visibly express my gender fluidity. So if I'm wearing a skirt on campus, for instance, it's very interesting to see the ways in which Stellenbosch um, responds to that in day-to-day life. And I, I've always said since I've started exploring that more that there's nothing more liberating than a skirt. And the reason that I, I say that is because the nature of these arbitrary physical identifiers of my gender and the nature of the responses to them are radical and, and very, very foreign to me because I've, I never thought this form of of material expression of my gender could ever elicit this kind of response because it's so arbitrary to me. Like my gender is very much important to me, but the ways in which I physically physically, um, perform my gender are arbitrary to me at the end of the day. It's just how I feel. Um, And and feelings like how, like how you feel it is insignificant. If you feel happy today, that's not like, it's not like something the world should like, you know, lose its shit over. But if I'm feeling particularly feminine today, the world suddenly is in disarray around me. Yeah. Um, and that's right. both from the queer community, I've noticed, and the broader community, obviously. Um, but particularly with the queer community in Stellenbosch, there has been a lot of love that I've experienced, definitely. Um, but then also a lot of confusion. And confusion in and of itself feels um, violent, as we said earlier. Yes. And especially when it's confusion, from the community that you expect to understand you, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's definitely more um, impactful on me when the very community that I form part of has so much to learn still. And I've expected them to be there with me, but they're not there yeah. yet, you know? Especially and, and that when almost it's not a hurts difficult more. concept to grasp. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I think gender is a very rich and vast subject but I don't think grasping its fundamental principles is difficult at all, especially for the community that essentially with lesbian feminists of the eighties burst this consciousness, you know? Um, I don't think like, I think respect is not difficult. Even if you don't understand the thing, respecting it is not. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's also like a really good, it brings up a really good point with feminism um, how do we accommodate non-binary individuals within the frameworks of, or within the umbrella of feminism? Um, how do you think that could, you know, work? Or mm. Mm. I mean, I have a lot to say on, on that front. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it um, also. Yeah, I think also. Sorry, just hit me, but I think Fabi no, also ahead. as a drag queen. I think we can also extend that to just being the the the, the age old question of whether we perceive drag queens as also being like within the feminist movement and within the non binary as women. Women themselves receive those those drag queens themselves, even just apart from from the feminist movement. I think if we start yeah. off at the one of sort of men so, dressing up as women and then we have actual non-binary people and how do they eventually yeah. intersect? 
if I can add to that, obviously doing drag, and Adam has worked closely with me in drag, so none of this will come as a surprise to him. <laughs> but um, I, so Adam knows me as Fabi, and Adam knows me as drag me. Um, yeah. And that's exactly the point I'm going to make is who Fabi is and who Bovine, my drag queen character, is. They exist in very binary forms, right? So yeah. when I started drag, initially, I wanted to be a bearded queen because I'm Portuguese, I'm super hairy. Like, <laughs> I wanted to comment on drag and gender as this point of, like, women can be hairy, women can have beards, women can have chest hair, for example. That doesn't make them any less womanly. And by me dressing in a very hyper-feminized way, it doesn't make me any less masculine. And by having typically masculine traits, it doesn't make me any less feminine, if that makes sense. What I yeah. experienced... Also, something to add... Yeah. yeah. No, 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 carry on? you go. Adam? Oh. Please. So what I experienced as a drag queen in Joburg has been that to succeed, quite frankly, I have to look like a queen from RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> when I started drag, oh. I, I'm a sociological researcher. I'm doing my honors in sociology and my main focus is gender. <laughs> so a lot of why I started drag was to comment on gender, was to question gender, to interrogate gender for myself as well, because I had growing up a very toxic relationship with my masculinity. Um, I hated yeah. doing anything that expressed my femininity. Now I don't give a shit. And I have a lot of that to owe. Yeah. Because there is a lot of power in engaging with the parts of yourself that are feminine. Even if I identify with he, him, I identify as a cisgender male in my everyday life. Engaging with femininity is one of the most powerful things that you can do, period. And I think that that's yeah. why, like Giuseppe was speaking about people's reactions to it. Because in drag, people react to you so, in such volatile ways. Um, and expressing your femininity as a man people react to you in such volatile ways um you know like what happened with what happened with um me was like when we started drag i had people like straight men coming up to me and saying like oh what's the biggest thing you can fit in your vagina and like really aggressive assault like laden <laughs> statements yeah and i think yeah sorry fabi i think the volatility also comes from it's just that i think even in the queer community now and even when we have straight people that volatility it speaks to the patriarchy and it's 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 ingrainedness yeah. in that the binary yeah. exists i mean i identify as being pansexual and okay. it, it's purely because i don't believe the binary exists and a lot of people in the community only believe everything up until LGBT. Yeah. Then it stops for yeah. It literally yeah. It yeah. ends. Because yeah. they'll ask me, they'll be like, you're pansexual. So you still, you still find women attractive. You still sleep with women. You sleep with men. And then I'm also like, no, but I also sleep with those individuals who are non-binary. And yeah. I sometimes will go through my own gender fluid myself. And they'll be like, no, but yeah. if you're still sleeping with men and women, you're bisexual. So it'll, it'll mm. be constant reinforcement that no matter what, you either a gay man who likes men, a woman who likes women, or a man or a woman who likes both of the genders. Yeah. But it never, yeah. it never moves further. And the volatility, I think, is from a point of them just not understanding. Yeah. It also, mm. I think, when, when I talk about homophobia and people are like, why are we calling it homophobia? I call it homophobia because 
I when we did the experiments on on sort of gender at the university where I'm at, the a lot of the people when they saw drag queens or when they saw women, like for example, we showed them um, there's a, a drag queen, a Pablo Vitar, who does like a, a music video called Garupa, and in that she looks very very feminine. A lot of the gender yeah. studies don't recommend this, and then they were like, "Oh God, she's fucking beautiful!" Like Jesus, and they were like, "That is a drag queen. That is a man in woman's makeup." Then the anger came because I think they have to then confront the fact that they are at, like attracted to not your yeah. usual normal yeah. female, and that internal challenge on their own being, I think, scares them so much that they actually get scared, and then they exude this. I hate it. I don't yeah. want to talk about it. I'm going to reject it. How can I fight this in any way possible? Yeah. You know what yeah. I love? Let me just, just regarding the whole drag thing, because I've been relatively present for a large portion of the pre strong surge of drag in our country. Um, yeah. And yeah. at least in terms of like mainstream performing and stuff like that, you know, there are more venues than just like beef kicks. And um, I, 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 like, <laughs> me too. I wish um, that people could see also that drag, drag is firstly very, very personal to the queen. The, whoever mm-hmm. the queen is, that it's their drag, you know, whatever. I don't really care much for it. But drag is also such, it's a, a performative. And because it has that kind of platform and because you have people like Pablo Vittar who are like very, very female presenting in the way that she paints and the way that she does all kinds of stuff like that. I think that in itself being a performing art that gets to be um, appreciated moves a lot of things forward for people to just understand that like, while there may be some kind of like something present in their minds, regarding the binary and something that they may think is set in stone, it really doesn't take much for that to sort of be dismantled. It really just takes like yeah. a Krylon TV plane stick and a week. Literally. And, yeah. <laughs> just pluck your eyeballs so, once. You will learn so much about I, yourself. So I see we have two minutes. I see, um, I said minutes yeah. there. so do we maybe want to just do closing statements and just wrap it up? I think Charles Crispin was very important um, about non-binary people within feminism and answering the question of gender non-conforming people within um, even like feminism. Does do we? I, I did a course on feminism last year, and I think it's important to discuss like is feminism the answer anymore? Is feminism as it exists now the answer to these types of questions, or do we need to look post-structurally? Yeah, so I think feminism, well, at its crux is a response to the patriarchy and, and non-binary people, I don't know, connect, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but non-binary people are also sort of a resistance against patriarchy. So feminism so yeah. they intersect. should, should, yeah, yeah, should sort of, should sort of, I don't know cover or uh, accommodate people who who do not identify on a a gender gender binary like linear scale Um, and maybe gender should be looked at in a different way maybe it should be a constellation of stars rather than a scale of you know this or that 
Because I think you'll agree that feminism itself is also binary at the moment. Mm, yeah, I, I do well, agree I with, with that. Um, sorry, yeah, I, I do agree with that observation of feminism. Um, I will say, however, though, with feminism, there are definitely issues that are intrinsically and, and oppressions that are intrinsically targeted towards the female body from a perspective. And there are yeah. definitely oppressions that are targeted against women and femme bodies. And there, are de- and there are definitely oppressions that are targeted against non-binary and queer people who exist outside of patriarchal expressions of gender and so on in the binary. The ways in which the very severe oppressions that are targeted specifically towards female bodies and the ways in which um, queer people and non-binary people are targeted by the patriarchy might be different in like very like physical nature of that oppression, but the principled foundations of, of the principled foundations of why the patriarchy targets us in those ways intersect so much that feminism can still cater towards issues that are very much oppressions on the female body, but mm-hmm. also cater to oppressions that are very much on the femme presenting personality mm-hmm. um, yeah. and queer presenting personality. And because they're so fundamentally intersectional and intersect with each other, we can still differentiate the issues in the way we dismantle those sources of oppression. We can still separate the ways we do that while catering to all of those demographics, if that makes sense. Yeah. At the end of the day, fuck the patriarchy. And I think yes. <laughs> that's how we're ending it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Patriarchy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it amongst your friends. And don't forget that the Perils of Patriarchy ebook is now available on Amazon. We hope that you stay safe during this lockdown. And remember, the patriarchy isn't going to fight itself. <laughs>